Hi, this is Kane Hodder, better known as Jason from Friday the 13th, Victor Crowley from Hatchet. You are listening to Midnight at the Monster Museum. Keep listening or I'll kill you. This is Charles Mann. You're listening to Midnight at the Monster Museum. This is R.A. Mihailov, Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and you're listening to Midnight at the Monster Museum. We're too comfortable at 1313 effects. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy for you to say. <laughs> Why? You're not comfortable? No, not at all. I'm very comfortable. Yeah. Why don't you, you put your hands back on? Are you comfortable in your masculinity? Oh, very comfortable, yeah. Oh, okay. So why aren't you comfortable? <laughs> I'm comfortable. Why you up behind you? Is that how you got a helmet on? <laughs> <laughs> to Midnight at the Monster Museum, episode number 14. That's double sevens! Double sevens! Is it 14? Because yeah. we did 13 and it, did Maxim go up? No? Yeah, the Maxim one. That's 14. Episode <laughs> at Midnight at the Monster Museum, 15, not double seven. But we, hey, we passed episode seven and we are shooting like a bullet straight towards success all right the moving, so the moving trucks are gone and <laughs> i am tom devlin this is jeff chang and that over there is producer waleed next to a furry furry primeval beast but uh what we have going on here today is insanity at the monster museum <laughs> we i don't know why but I get excited about other people's happiness, and this is a plague. This is something that has destroyed my life time and time again. But for the last 48 hours, I've been dealing with these people who are getting married here at the Monster Museum. We have a wedding outside setting up. They're going to get married at dusk. So whatever time dusk is, that's when they're doing their nuptials. And uh, I was all for this, man. I, I was having a blast and, and the idea of people making the happiest day of their life. And the bride and groom are freaking awesome. They're super cool people. They're regulars here at the Monster Museum. But then Momzilla showed up. Lady has been up my butt and not only that i gave specific no guidelines or anything specific guidelines on what they could and couldn't do and they set up a tent larger than the monster museum itself it's been this has been and they wanted to put it like 
Yes. <laughs> this has been pure chaos and utter disappointment. All I want to do is go home. I can't wait till today is over. And I'm sorry, but I will never, ever entertain any kind of event within my parking lot of the Monster Museum again. I will constantly and always be open to renting out the inside for special events. You must realize the space that it has and the guest list has to entail the number that can fit in the... Well, uh, yeah, I don't really see the point otherwise. They're not I mean, getting so... married in a monster museum. Yeah. They're getting married in a parking lot of a strip they're mall. Getting, they're getting married just as much at Vinny's as they are. Right, monsters. with a yeah. view of traffic or dumpsters. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I have no idea why they're doing this. And I've been. I, I bet you they were. I bet you they were talked into it. I think they wanted to have it inside. Honestly, the couple I think did probably yeah. want to have it inside. But this grew in, you know, and weddings I guess are crazy and stupid. I don't partake usually. And uh, me and my wife got married alone on a beach with no people. So it's. Uh, Who's your witness? Just the the lady, the oh. officiant. That counts. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And there, there's a photographer. Too. We had a photographer too. But uh, that was it. I didn't even wear shoes. It was awesome. But uh, but here, I feel I feel invaded. I feel disrespected, and I will never let somebody's happiest day create me misery. So that window is totally open. They can hear <laughs> every word. That I'm saying. I'm looking up like the cords right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So for our flashback feature, Deadly we friend. are going for Deadly Friend, a Wes Craven class. Yeah. <laughs> Classically bad. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Roll the trailer. With uh, uh, you know Batgirl, Alicia Silverstone. Silverstone. <laughs> Man, was she smoking hot in the Crush? Yeah, that was awesome. But uh, it it looks like the Crush, but with Christy Swanson, which is the smoking hot. And you don't have and, any clue what is actually happening in this right, fucking movie. Which I really enjoy a trailer that throws you off the scent that much. I love. Yeah, a but at the same time, it, I mean, at least I don't want to be misled either. 
Yeah. I don't want to be misled. You like a teaser. You just want to tease. I want at least an idea of the movie I'm getting myself into. Because yeah, I've seen a few trailers where I think I'm watching one thing. I go into the movie and it's something completely different. What about Dust Till Dawn? Oh, I love that. But yeah. I knew what I was going to But there's a that. twist. Yeah. yeah. But no, well, like, like Godzilla. We were talking about this the other day. The 2004. I do really like that movie. But they promoted as if Godzilla is the villain and right. Brian Cranston plays his prominent role he dies like a third way through the fucking movie and yeah. Godzilla's a good guy yeah so you know well I or, have to say or, or Highlander uh the one with both both Adrian Paul and Connor McCloud uh the end game or yeah. Like yeah like most of the trailer has major plot points in it and none of them happen in it. <laughs> none of them happen, and they say they publish it. Oh, a team of immortals is going to have to take down. There's no team of immortals. They make it sound like there's a superhero team. Don't happen. But, so, yeah. with Deadly Friend, I this is where we're going to see an age difference between me and Jeff because this movie came out in 1986. And I, I and wanted to bring it up for the exact reason that we're. It is made for my generation, not maybe for your you might have been looking for a serious horror film and i enjoyed the shit out of deadly friend and here's the thing i didn't know who wes craven was then later i realized wes craven's one of my favorite humans on earth my favorite intellectuals one of my favorite people to hear speak and i have a really hard time understanding that he made this movie well, see that's the thing is is that they touch base on his horror roots and I hadn't long, I mean, I wasn't that long after I had become a Wes Craven fan, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, right. my favorite horror right. series and everything. And they. And I saw Deadly Friend that. before Nightmare. Okay. And, and that was the thing is, is uh, well, to, to preface people, first of all, I wanted to talk about this movie because uh, people don't seem to understand how easy it is for a movie to get derailed. It doesn't take much for a movie to go bad, even if it got a good premise. And even more so when the studio gets involved. This was not supposed to be a horror movie. This was right. not supposed to be a horror movie. But it's not really. It was not supposed to have much death in it. It was supposed no, to be no. about uh, the people around her, not her being the monster. It was supposed to be a love story. Yeah. It was a, a, initially a, a love, story, love story. But the robot also falls in love, right? Ish, yeah. Okay. And and that well, and that... quick quick premise of the movie as it stands for those of you who have not seen Deadly Friend, it is a nerdy tenth grader who looks like he's forty, has uh, <laughs> has created a robot to basically, I mean, we're talking about. So what I love so much about the robot is it is like a finished version of Johnny Five. Well, here's the here's the thing is I think that's a it's a perfect uh, like analogy of of what's wrong because the way they talk about the the robot in in the context of the movie is it's they speak about it like it's fast and like right. it's, it's able to do all these different functions and the robot's functional and it's awesome. But even its voice, it's it sounds like a the cross voice between, it's, it's a crossbreed between like a gremlin and Station from Bloga's Journey. Right. And, but the, they but they depict it as if it's supposed to have this like endearing cuteness to it, and it's not cute at all. So to me, to me, the robot looks exactly like if you put skin yeah, on Johnny Five. A shell around it. Yeah. And, and it looks like a completed version of Johnny Five. But they, it's well, they talk the about eyes, it like it's supposed to be fast it and it's so track, slow. And, and, and you know, it turn out too It kind of looks like the robot from uh, that, that Rocky movie. Yeah. Almost, too. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. That's a very 80s, that yeah. rounded yeah. look. Yeah. yeah. So, so the boy builds a robot 
Then the boy, the boys new, new to the neighborhood, which is uh, the back lot on Universal Studios. You can clearly see the Monster House yeah. in the background, and then uh, so also the neighborhood from uh, Desperate Housewives. Back to the Future, yeah, also. Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. So um, that being said, Paperboy, uh, who who's kind of like the dude from Karate Kid that he meets when he kicks the door open. It's like, oh, this guy fell. Now we're buddies. <laughs> who? He he sees well, a hot neighbor like because of the robot. Yeah, there's a robot that made him fall for no reason. But the, and I have to say, the paper boy is Tom. I think his name Tom. Tom. Yep. He is a uh, Tom comic only. relief. <laughs> he's the comic relief, but he's dopey and stupid and falls over all the time. Yeah. But he also there's this line in the movie where he said, "What do you think about our neighbor?" And he's like, "Sam." Speaking of Christy Swanson, our who played Buffy later. Yeah, uh, the original. Yes. And he said, oh, she got nice tits. And that's what he says about yeah. her. That's it. And it's like, oh. Well, what's even funnier is like, then, then the main guy, Paul's all like, hey, yeah. I don't remember the exact words, but basically like, yeah, the, damn right. The it's thing like, is, is, first of all, Chrissy Swanson's super attractive in this movie, but wears frumpy-ass sweaters, and you don't even see an outline, not even a um, not not a, a hint of tit. It's not a gratuitous role. She's not wearing lycra buffy outfit with pink and black and 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 a halter top yeah, she's, she's only 16 too so well there you go <laughs> 16 year old uh, no, no, no my know. point well i've only saying that because like back in the day when i watched it i was only like 10 years old yeah. and she was hot as the shit because i'm a 10 year old and now going back it's hard to watch it with that mindset because you know well it was uh it's <laughs> no good the, the thing is is a uh, super hot no, I don't know why they said she's got nice tits. It well, the movie fit. schizophrenic. And it was made for television. No, <laughs> no, no, it, was it wasn't. It was theatrical. Oh, I always thought that it was made. Oh for no, television. it's hard R, man. It's I hard R. I saw it. And that's the cool thing is, is, yeah, that's how that's the that's the that's what the weird thing about this movie is is that the horror elements don't fit there, right. but the deaths are really cool, really cool. <laughs> well, it, yeah. The, so anyway, this robot. We're gonna get through the synopsis. The robot. Uh, <laughs> Is a buddy, and it ends up just being a side story. Yes, totally. <laughs> deadly friend. And is the deadly friend the robot? Absolutely not. The deadly friend happens to be this neighbor girl who, because she gets thrown down the stairs by her abusive father, she gets brain damage and dies, and then our nerdy son is invited by a doctor to fix her brain. No, 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 no. He sneaks in. What? He sneaks in. Yeah, he sneaks, he sneaks in, in to bring to, to he bring does, her back. He sneaks in. Okay, the doctor... The doctor seems interested that this kid knows how to work on brains. Well, yeah, no, he's there. He's there. He's there as, as an invite because he's, uh, you know, a child prodigy. Right. And so he's there. So to he has her, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And he's far advanced in in understanding the brain, which is so funny because when he's he's messing with the brain of a, of a cadaver or or whatever, of course, with poorly like painted feet. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and the the professor is is fascinated that he understands things to the point that he doesn't seem to understand what he's doing but i mean i don't know if there's been some sort of major advance in medical technology i knew what he was doing right and it's <laughs> you know i'm no prodigy and some of that and it's it was basic understanding of biology but whatever and so when he found out that he was going to be that sam was going to be brain dead well, if you die jeff's bringing you back <laughs> 
Is he gonna bring, bring me back by just though. putting, yeah, a 16-pin microchip just sticking yeah. it in my brain, and that's how? Well, that's the thing. I, you know, she. The thing is, There's she breaks her fucking does. neck, and that's why she's brain damaged supposedly. They didn't but, fix her neck. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't fix her neck. They don't even have a bruise and on her neck. I don't only bruise on her eyes. Gets, well, I mean, we'll talk more about it, but and then the end, what ends up finishing her is one gunshot. So it's like she's already snapped her neck to the point where she's dead. <laughs> gets resurrected with the microchip and then dies again by one gunshot. <laughs> <laughs> we should make deadly friends too. So, uh, real quick though, we'll... The robots de debunked though after they bring back the chick. And now she's the robot. She's got the brain of the robot. Well, that's what's so funny. She even, she does the, the hand thing. Yeah, she's got the, the Spock hands <laughs> to mimic the robot. Yeah. <laughs> and the robot is, it only says BB. Because his name is BB. <laughs> and everyone's, even she, she's doing BB. <laughs> and there's a song that, that, that and the credits is BB. Yeah. But, uh, so, so at the end of the day, when I remember this movie, I remember it being awesome. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember it being a piece of shit. Dude, she watch. She it. throws a basketball at Mama from Mama the Train and Ramsey, and also known, yeah, Mama Fratelli. So she's known for her two best roles as Mama. And she gets her head exploded by a basketball. Which, the basketball is completely intact. <laughs> when I first saw that, I rewound that part so many times. I was like, that was amazing. It's better than scanners. <laughs> it's better than scanners. Because the chunks are bigger. But the body that's walking and that's walking around because it's, it's yeah. flailing around and stuff like that afterwards. It's so but that might be one of the coolest deaths in the hormones. Yeah. I love well, that death. Well, uh, according to, to Wes Craven, though, is the original cut of it was like 15 seconds long, and it was really, really cool. But because... I think it is really, no, really no, 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 cool. No, but no, the original cut of it. But because of the reaction to the ratings board through other movies that had decapitations in it and stuff that were mandated... Uh, he lengthened it so he could cut it down. Basically. And then they didn't make him cut it down. No, they, they cut it down. Oh, okay. Down. Yeah. Well, I really, really like that head explosion. It's completely unbelievable and then there is a there's some funny parts where she's like wrestling and fighting with people she can't seem to hurt them with her bare hands but she can throw the bathroom hard enough to right yeah, head. absolutely Which, but that might have been a glitch like she just hit a little ah, oops <laughs> you know like fucking rookie of the year you know got like the snappy arm yeah. <laughs> she's got really tight tendons in her yeah arm. oh yeah well, she broke her neck that's well, the last thing is she she like at the end she hucks she hucks one of the, the bullies into the police car and somehow it kills him even though he just lands on the glass and stuff and so and then all of a sudden all the cops are bloodthirsty and are pulling guns on her and, and they shoot her right they shoot, yeah, yeah right the <laughs> only because she comes running out with her with her spock hands those spock yeah. hands look like drop your weapons there's no weapons in my hands you're well, a it, super hot teenager oh, i'll just shoot she's you. slowly walking to towards them too with just her hands out but well it's interesting so, because the writer of this movie he's He's actually a fairly prominent uh, writer. It's uh, Bruce Joel Rubin. Who uh, did you ever see Brainstorm? It's Natalie Wood's last movie with Christopher Walken. It's a really no. cool movie. You should check that out. It's a 1983 movie. Uh, but he also wrote Ghosts and Deep Impact and Jacob's Ladder. All good movies. Yeah, wow. and uh, I have all to, movies that make sense. I have to believe that 
the script of this movie because Wes Craven loved the script originally. Uh, you know, everybody that signed on signed on to the original premise, which was the love story, the dark macabre love story that was more of uh, how do you make a dark movie with a bright yellow robot? <laughs> I think it was orange. That <laughs> was yellowish. Anyway. Uh, yeah, well, like we were talking about with the robot earlier, like the the bullies come up on their motorcycles and stuff, and somehow Wait, that being... is a badass XR two fifty R though. I ain't talking the motorcycle. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love, but the, the leader of the motorcycle gang is on a dirt bike, and the other guys are on street bikes, which is the coolest thing in the world. Well, me. despite the fact that it moves like a robot from the eighties, you would expect. I like it to when move they fall slowly. over the motorcycle. Well, he comes up. And he suddenly, you know, you could, they speed up the film, but it, like, comes up and just quickly grabs up all the balls. <laughs> but yeah, when every other time, it moves so slowly and robotic. And that's its basketball throwing <laughs> reflex. Right, yeah. well, anytime there's a ball involved, it moves super fast. <laughs> and the two guys, they look like twins, and they're just little meatheads. They don't even look like guys that would be riding any kind of motorcycle around town. Uh, they just... They got their sunglasses on, like slowly back <laughs> they got on their motorcycles. Oh. I like when the other doofus bad guy on the on the XR shows back up in an alley for no reason and is like just waiting for uh, yeah. Paul, Peter, yeah. whatever the it's dude, Paul. Paul, waiting for Paul. And it's just like out of nowhere, like, oh, there you are, like he's been looking for. Well, Paul was played by. Uh, but I am super into dirt bikes and horror films, so well, when you're you're off by <laughs> dirt bikes, period. Yeah, but it makes it good. You got Pumpkinhead, you got Eight-Legged Freaks, you know. And to put a dirt bike in a movie, you're doing well. Well, the guy, played, the, the guy who played the guy who played Levi's Part Two, the guy who played Paul, he was uh, it was Matthew Laberto, and uh, he played. Albert in Little House on the Prairie. That was the thing he was most known for. But this was his uh, his last film role. You and... don't say. <laughs> but he's mainly done video games and, and cartoons and stuff like that. Uh, do you know who played the voice of BB? So awfully. Yeah, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, Charles Fleischer. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and then, uh, of course, yeah, Christy Swanson, we already talked about that. And, yeah. and, you know, it's just a shame that Wes Craven is telling you, because you, like, think you're going to get a Wes Craven movie, and then there's flashes. It was so weird. Is that there's the, hints. Well, there's WB uh, didn't know that he was a horror guy when they hired him for this movie. And his agent told him that he, if he, unless he wanted to get stuck in independent film, that he needs to do a studio film. That's why he signed on, and he wanted to do something akin to, like, a Starman type movie yeah. that was more about... Uh, uh, like investigating the human condition and the difference between, you know, like real monsters. Who and... do you think built the wooden ramp that goes up the steps for the robot? <laughs> do you think that he convinced the robot to build his own ramp or did he build the ramp for the robot? I love, I, I don't know, but I, I love, <laughs> I love that beginning part. I don't know if you remember that when, uh, he comes in, BB needs to charge himself, so he... Oh, he throws like, the piano! Pushes, pushes the piano, and it slides perfectly into place, and then the cord comes out, and it's just straight, and he just kind of... It just goes and plugs, plugs himself. <laughs> but damn that piano. And he moves that piano with basketball force. Yeah, but then when they have him shoot the thing, despite the fact that he has no basketball motion, big surprise when he throws the ball over his head and into uh, Mama's yard. Yeah. And she's... She uh she takes a shot to him and she throws that ball. She sets up her own death. She throws the ball inside her house. Yeah. Like you're not getting your ball back, bitch. It's like yeah. my house, my property. And then that ball ended her life. Damn shit. <laughs>
Do you remember the ending of that movie? Because it never fucking made sense to me at all, and I understand why it exists now. Uh, when the girl turns into a robot. Yeah. She's got the, the how yellow... How does a computer chip... Even How does a, a microchip in somebody's brain... Cybernetic re organism... Re-configure her... <laughs> but it didn't have an endoskeleton in the first place, but somehow it turns into an endoskeleton. That's called her. endoskeletal <laughs> stem cell. <laughs> well, that's like something like it would be like nanotechnology now yes. or something. But, but here's the thing. I'm I, looking at it now. Looking at... Remembering... I don't remember what that robot looked like, but I remember it was yellowish. But... It reminds me, what about those yellow, awesome robot hookers on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2? I think they're the same breed as her. <laughs> they look like her a little bit. Well, Mark Kenton, the, the president of WB at the time, Went for whatever on. reason, he said that he wanted that ending. Nobody, she had to become a robot. Yeah, nobody made. Nobody, had, like, fucking, <laughs> nobody understood how it made sense. It did not make sense. Super stretchy, like latex skin that didn't want to rip. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how a person's involved in this, but supposedly the person, it, Christy Swanson, had rapped and they, because they came back for reshoots on it, because that wasn't the original ending. Yeah. And I couldn't actually find out what the original ending was. But uh, it's probably something good. Yeah. <laughs> Better than her turning into a robot yeah. and then killing him. No, but she yeah. even expresses love for him in that moment and she fucking snaps his neck. It's like Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> but uh, gotta put an end to it. Yeah, he uh, he just want, mandated the ending and, and uh, you know, they basically said that nobody Nobody's gonna tell tell the president of the studio that his idea sucks. I would, <laughs> I would tell him. So, like I said, I wanted. That's what I wanted to talk about. Was was uh, you know, have you ever had any interference that just interference? absolutely fucked anybody? Where it's like they completely altered something that you thought was gonna be one way, and then did it just didn't make any sense. I did a movie called Black Ops, that should have been awesome. It starred Lance Henriksen. And it was, uh, and Tom Hanks' brother, uh, Jim. Jim Hanks. And uh, it was, it should have been really awesome. It all took place on a battleship. It was written by Ethan Wiley, who, who wrote uh, Monster Squad and with Shane Black. And he also uh, wrote and directed House 2. And he wrote House 1 and uh, directed by Steve Miner. And uh, so Ethan is a badass and he had a badass script about a frozen Nazi that comes back on this battleship, a slasher movie, you know, kills off a bunch of people, turns them into zombies, kills them in fun ways. Um, and Lance Henry, it wasn't the studio because it was an independent film, but Lance himself started rewriting the script. And the director, Roel Rene, who's a very, very accomplished independent horror director, let Lance run wild with this fucking thing. And we ended up, I call it Black Pop, plops because it is a terrible unwatchable movie and uh it should have been one of my highlights of my career now, is that what formulated your opinion on okay well that's where i, I, know I couldn't remember if there was something before that or no this was a, i had some interesting times with lance on that movie 
one the first interaction he tried throwing me out of my own trailer not realizing i was the department head and that infuriated me but then we watched alien on the battleship together we watched aliens part two uh uh the whole movie through just me and him while they were shooting a bunch of crap that nobody cares about we watched the whole movie and he commentated it as if he had never seen it. It was so awesome. One of the greatest moments of my life. I'm sitting there with Bishop, who's acting like he had never seen the most iconic role he's ever played. And it was it was incredible. And then three weeks after that movie, I did another movie with him and he didn't know who I was. Couldn't remember me at all. And I was like, I thought we shared something. You know, so that was a bummer. But it was a one-night stand. It was. It was a one-night stand. And, uh, and anyway, but he, that movie, he derailed that movie. He wouldn't let me life cast him, so I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, Kill him. He was supposed to get decapitated. Wouldn't let me life cast him. So we end up, he gets a little gouge on his neck built with uh, some silicone third degree. Um, but you don't see it anyway. You don't see anything. The whole movie is terrible because he was in there changing the script up and no, there was no direction to it. Ethan had written a funny but serious fucking what movie film. did you sign on for? And Why are you fucking with it? Well, Rene, the director, was making his movie. Ethan had written his movie. Lance's directing his own bullshit. No, it happened on Feast of Fear, too, with Robert Dobby. Yeah. Same exact thing. But why'd you even sign on for the project if you didn't fucking... Not you. For him. Paycheck. And then you want to fucking... Oh, I can make this better. For and, now and he didn't make it... He shit. was never trying to make it better. He was trying to make it easier. He was trying to make ah. his job easier. And that's that's a shame. It sucks, because I really do respect Lance as a as a uh, actor. I think he's mm -hmm. freaking great. And after that, he was in Appaloosa, and he was phenomenal. It's not like he's lost his touch since the 80s. He is still th th awesome. And uh, actually, I'm going to share one more thing about Lance before we get back to what we're really talking about. I have Lost yeah. Boys tattooed on my fingers, and he said to me, you know, that could say near dark. And I said, it says that on my toes, sir. <laughs> and that was it. But uh, it does not say that on my toes. <laughs> I thought that was cool. He, he probably knew you lied to him. That's why. But, but, uh, anyway, back to uh, Deadly well, Friend. Well, well, no, because like I said, that's what I want to... Right. Uh, any other? I mean, because that's... That, you know, I mean, it does happen all the time. It happens on the big studios, and we hear about it. I mean, of we, course. It well, because it's so easy for people. And, you know, it's like what, when we were talking about how people just want to immediately dismiss something as shit instead of trying to harvest the good out of something. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. They want to so easily dismiss a movie right. as shit when it's like and it, they doesn't, blame the director. it doesn't take much for a movie to get derailed. Right. So here's the thing, and you got to think about think about a forward-thinking director, much like Robert Rodriguez or Kevin Smith, in my opinion, somebody who is setting a standard that nobody understands at the moment. But then ten years later, they're like, "Well, this guy is a freaking mastermind of cinema who changed an entire generation." But in the studio system, they don't fit. They didn't work. They had to go out on their own, do it on their own, and say, "This is." This is what I'm making, like it or not. And then all of a sudden, public likes it in the studio. They're like, oh, this is great. Let's knock this off. Let's make something that's like this, and let's make something that's like that. And the next thing you know, you have, like, all these... You, have... you stop well, having like... reboots. Right. But it's like the spiders, <laughs> the spider story for Kevin Smith and Superman. And the, right. That turned into Wild West. Wild, and, Wild West. And, uh, and then his experience with Bruce Willis. on What, what I can, what I can uh, commend Kevin Smith for is right now, if you ask Kevin Smith, 
what Marvel character would you want to do a movie for? What DC character do you want to do a movie for? He says none. Absolutely not. Well, I he, don't... Uh, he was on. He he had the opportunity to do a couple. Uh, the but when he doesn't, a TV show, when he does, no, he was he agree. was actually the, one of the directors for Green Hornet. Sure, and he was signed for it, and he uh -huh. was going to do it. He started writing it, and then him and Scott Mosier uh, talked about it. He said and, this is not and for Mosier us. And Mosier realized, you know they're going to fucking put their hands in it, especially since it's you. Yeah. Because you don't have... The clout. Yeah. And, and you're that's gonna, the thing. The movie you make is not going to be what you want to make. And that's why I hear it all the time. Why would Rob Zombie make Halloween? Why would Rob Zombie make Halloween 2? You want to know why? Because somebody else would have. Mm -hmm. They asked Rob Zombie, and he said, yeah, of course I'll make Halloween. Because if I don't, freaking Ang Lee's going to, or somebody, you know? So... So he's going to do the best. He's going to do what he can. But there's a perfect example of studios meddling and making a terrible product is Halloween 2. On Halloween 2, the studios would not leave Zombie alone. And everybody hates Halloween 2. I'm sure he's not fond of it either. I actually like it. but I actually appreciate it because it's not derivative. Of, right. You know, right. it's its own animal. I have a couple effect. flaws with it, but I, I love the movie as, as much as anything else. But the thing is, is the studios don't know what's hip. And they try holding on to what they think is hip. And then the forward-thinking directors, like Wes Craven, who was a brilliant mind that nobody had discovered at that point. You know, Nightmare had come out, and it was a success. So they were independent movies. But though. they were independent. Yeah. Nobody liked, like, Warner Brothers didn't give a shit about New Line, which is funny, because now they own them. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but at that time, like, in New Line, in those days, you had Rennie Harlan, you had uh, Wes Craven, you had people uh, like Frank Darabont, all all milling around making creative decisions that would affect our future, and and nobody realized what a hot commodity New Line was until Lord of the Rings. What the fuck? It's crazy. It's crazy to me. But uh, now everybody that that you know the house that Freddie built. Uh, everybody involved has moved on to make huge, huge mm -hmm. things. And uh, everyone. Not, there's not a, a director at New Line that didn't go on to do something cool. Well, you, know? And, you know, it's an extension of what we were talking about last week when, uh, <clears throat> or the last podcast with Hills Run Red, uh, about how the studio doesn't understand right. the, the benefit of making these smaller movies where, you know, it's like a farm system with a sports team. That, yeah. You know, you're, you're, building up these guys that will become and in the late of the crop guy. in the mid 2000s here they kind of got it and like warner's made their little horror sanction mm -hmm. and uh so and so had you know well, look castle at, well, fucking james of, gunn look yeah. at james gunn of course fucking trauma guy and he's one of the most sought after directors around now sam because, raimi too and know? that is the thing horror brings passionate human beings to it mm -hmm. and they go on to prove a point and make movies and um, as far as Denley Friend being a flop for, for Wes Craven, he's also said that he was going through some terrible life moments during making that movie. He was being sued. He was going through a divorce. And he had, and he he was, had got rejected from Beetlejuice 2, which he was supposed to yeah. direct. And he was, uh, I thought it was Beetlejuice 1. I'm pretty sure it's Beetlejuice, oh, Beetlejuice 1. Oh, Beetlejuice 1. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Kevin Smith was going to do a Beetlejuice yeah. 2. That's and, then, uh, and then also at the same time, he had to deliver a script for, for Dream Warriors. Too. Right. Right. Yeah. So there, there was a lot going on personally, and then the studios didn't understand what the hell he was trying to do. Obviously, the script got totally rewritten by somebody else. God, I would love to and... see a fucking Wes Craven Beetlejuice. No, that'd be awesome. I love Beetlejuice, but yeah, that, yeah, that would have been. That would have been awesome. Yeah. 
But there's a so it's one of those things. It's like I think um, uh, Serpent in the Rainbow is almost like that in some scenes near the end. Serpent in the Rainbow it's a great might, movie. might be one of Wes's best movies to me. I think it's one of the scariest. Yeah, there's one of those parts at the end where like the hands, like all the hands Don't coming down, and the, the, yeah. I'm not dead. The prison pit. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Like, it's a lot like the table scene with the hands coming out of the food. Yeah, it's very like dreamlike or like otherworldly. I love Surfing the Rainbow. We should do that one day. We should do a Surfing the Rainbow. I could do a whole Wes Craven everything because I think he's brilliant. Well, we're supposed to do Nightmare on Elm Street series. We are. We're supposed to do the Fly series. Yeah. We got a lot of content, guys. <laughs> Keep listening because this is going to be awesome. So uh, we are going to jump off Deadly Friend and move on because this stupid wedding. We got things to do here. But we're going to go on the Schizophrenic day, schizophrenic well, movie, schizophrenic well, podcast. Yes, let's go to the hypnoswirl <laughs> system. Jeff, what do you give Deadly Friend on the hypnoswirls? Uh, I'm only giving it a two. Two? A two, yeah. Wow. Man, I have such a hard time with this. <laughs> I can't give that. A, I'm going to go with a four. Oh. I give it a solid four. Maybe. Maybe. That's, that's Maybe. what I would have done, too. I, I saw this movie on accident as a kid, and I was like, this is weird and, and awesome. fun. Yeah. It's awesome. I Well, get, you got to understand, too, though, the reason why I never perceived my dream of being a comic book artist was... Because of Deadly Friend? No, because of people... Because, because of the robots? idea, The idea of people telling me what to make and what to do and this is a clear example of that where a, 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 an artist a master of his craft is completely derailed and doing something he had never signed up for but you and, do know that you can yeah. get into independent comics not then do and back want. then no way sure and the independent scene was nothing back yes then. but ninja no. turtles image yeah ninja, ninja. In, in 1980 in 1986 Ninja Turtles were an independent... In 1986. Uh... I don't want to take... When did the comic come out? Not in 1987. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was literally... They made up their own studio, just drew... When it was only supposed to be an individual issue, and that's it. Yeah, yeah well, it changed the world. Yeah. Four yeah, a few days. years later. At the time, I'm talking about the time. I'm saying, man, I'm gonna tell everybody listening to these podcasts, just fucking do it. Just and it's a good it. thing it derailed me, otherwise I wouldn't be in in fucking effects now. We say that, but maybe it no, would. No, I'm glad to know I'm a fucking uh, a good sculptor because I didn't know. Maybe maybe you would be freaking. Things happen for a reason. They happen the, the way they're supposed Marvel to be. So. What are you making the next Marvel movie? <laughs> Well, let's see. The, the next one, they're, well, they're making Black Widow right now. And hey, Kevin Smith is doing the Howard the Duck cartoon. I know. I'm so that's awesome. for that. Wait, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. And they're doing a what if that's going to have Marvel zombies in it. Hey, we're talking about comic awesome, books here. Yeah. So this leads right into our modern day movie that we're going to cover, well, which is not a movie. It's a TV series, <laughs> but it's something that I, I have. I fucking binge that shit. I have I not shit. seen it. It's so but good. Jeff has seen it. It's awesome. And it's called The Boys. The Boys. Yeah. So tell us about The Boys. It's what, on Amazon what, Prime. Is it made for Amazon? It's it's an Amazon Prime channel. Yes, and it it can't be it couldn't be a network show at all. It's so violent and so I mean it's it, it's amazing. Uh, it's to me it's kind of programming to all the superhero stuff right now because essentially what it is is Captain Amazing from Mystery Men. Yes. Imagine that, but a team of them, 
but they have no regard for human life, really. <laughs> They're all about self-promotion and self-image, and as oh, long, like yeah, as as, lo <laughs> well, as long as long as their as their publicists keep a good image of them, crimes are like this is not a spoiler. Well, it kind of is, but it happens in the first like couple minutes of the of the show. Uh, the main character, who is played by Jack Quaid, which is the son of uh, Dennis Quaid and, and Meg Ryan, uh, he is in love with his girlfriend and they're kissing each other. She's just barely off the, the curb and suddenly when he goes to kiss her, just slow-mo, there's this just stream of blood just goes flying everywhere and blood goes on his face and the guy's sitting there holding the arms of his girlfriend because the, the fastest man blood. alive, the speedster, accidentally ran into her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the... The, the real the, the the story that is spun is that she came out of nowhere and and stepped into the street and stuff and the you know of course Jack Wade's pissed because he, his name's Huey in the show he's all like she was one foot off the curb you motherfucker <laughs> and walking uh, that's Jay walking yeah but she had been there for a little bit you know and, that's Jay standing and uh, and even when it came to apologizing and stuff he didn't. He didn't really seem to have regard, and then Huey finds out that he was even making jokes about it and shit. And uh, but all the while, uh, it it turns out that the Seven, which is basically this this universe's Justice League, they all have these different publicists, and it's all about maximizing cash flow. Uh, they could actually stop crimes and stop things from happening at a m better rate, but they they can choose what they do, and, and yeah, and, yeah, and sometimes like people die that just didn't have to die. But so it's called the boys, but I noticed there's some girls too. Uh, well, the group is like it's me and the boys. That's what it is. Uh, you yeah. know, it's me and the boys. It's, yeah, yeah. It's the 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 group is technically there ends up being a girl, technically, but it's mainly the boys. Oh, okay. Uh. But it's fantastic because they do nice little things. Because each character in the seven is basically uh, a knockoff of a comic. Pretty game. much, yeah. And uh, <laughs> what my favorite, my favorite as far as entertainment value goes, is the guy who's based on Aquaman, because when the new girl joins the seven, she actually wants to be a superhero. And that's the thing too is she thinks she's going to be a superhero and, and help been, people. Yeah. But it's all a ruse, and and she becomes really disenchanted. But he, uh, he ends up manipulating her into letting, uh, like, doing a sex act on her and stuff like that because you know she's the new girl and stuff like that, and he's the number two in charge. No, would come to find out he's fucking Aquaman. He ain't no number two shit. <laughs> but she doesn't know any better, and it's like, and he's, you know, he he blackmails her because he's all like, yeah, you new girl, you know, you went psycho, and I had to protect myself. And but uh, but it's funny because it turns out that he has image problems because he's fucking Aquaman, right. and he he's the guy who talks to fish, and so he goes through all these identity crises and. Uh, and because if anybody knows anything about Aquaman, the actual Aquaman, he went through all these different image changes through the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can kind of see that. Well, through the 90s, 70s, 90s, yeah. and today. Well, I you mean, can, you, I mean, you can kind of see where the, where they're, where they're mining this, this idea from. Does he end up looking like Jason Momoa? No, well, no, he has a Britney moment. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> he his head. But uh, no, it's fantastic. But it is violent. It is so violent. And Carl Urban, he is he is absolutely phenomenal in this show. He's he's the main guy. What it that's what it. Okay, I actually didn't even say what the actual premise is. It's the boys is this group. They want to take down the seven because they know. Okay. Well, it turns out that Carl Urban's character has a personal reason, personal vendetta, much like Jack Quaid's character has a personal reason to hate these people because they're not actually crime stoppers, you know? And so they want to take them down because they actually are more harm to the ideology of the world than... than yeah, the is, yeah. is his character the one with the dog that he could just make fuck anything? Like he tells his dog to go fuck that and the dog will go fuck shit? No. Is that a no. thing? No. Not, not, not in the show. Oh, in the comic, he can yeah. tell his dog to... He doesn't have on the show? No. Oh. He doesn't. Have no, kids? but the, the show's phenomenal. <laughs> For the kids, you can say home. Uh, <laughs> not your what fucking language, kids? man. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a dog humping is funnier than a dog. Uh, what's his face? Sean the Dead was supposed to be Huey, right? Um, no, it's his dad. It's his dad in the show? Yeah. Because when they drew the comic, it, they drew him. Yeah, but he's old As now. a character. Yeah. It's like 11 years later. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so uh, It's Simon Pegg. Simon yeah. Pegg. But he, it's I weird. guess that. It's, I actually guess that from it, the Shaun of the Dead. It's, it's yeah. weird. It's weird, though, because I've name. only ever heard him speak in an English accent or a Scottish accent, and he speaks in an American what accent. What about in Star Wars? But he does a voice in that. It's not really yeah. his voice. Not, so. an accent, not an English accent, though. No, but he's not doing him either. Yeah. You know? But it's weird. It's Simon Pegg, but he's speaking in, with an American accent. Huh. It's, it's odd. It's weird. Yeah. Especially when he says he's uh, Remington Steel is on. <laughs> well, we got three minutes. What do you want to tell this audience about this show? Uh, watch it. It's it's amazingly entertaining. Particularly, well, the deep the deep ends up. The one good thing about him is he's a complete misogynistic bastard, but he wants to save sea life. Yeah. And so, like, he's trying to rescue this dolphin, and while he's driving this dolphin, the dolphin's talking to him. And the dolphin wants to have a relationship with him, <laughs> and he's all like, "Right now, really? But you can't understand what the people, you can't understand what the dolphins say, but the dolphins speak dolphin language, and and so you, your interpreter from his side, he's like, right now, he's like, I'm trying to concentrate. Okay, if I let you touch it, will you just leave it? <laughs> and, then the cop, and then the cops come, and, and he says to jam on the brakes, and it's just the best slow-mo of all time, because the dolphin is launched right past him in the slow-mo, and he watches it go past him, and it lands in the street, and it gets run over by a car. <laughs> Based on your laughter. <laughs> Dude, he brings a girl up to his house because he, he's, he's off hiding because he's trying to fucking recuperate because he feels so shitty about the dolphin dying. And he brings a groupie up to his room and finally he gets his comeuppance and she wants to see his gills and she starts touching him and she's like, no, it hurts. I said stop. And so she starts fingering his gills. Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so fucked up, but 
it's so funny. <laughs> so, oh. in the light of that show, I will watch it. I will love it. I will yes, laugh will. about it. Guarantee we will talk will about it, it later. <laughs> um, I'm going to put, Jeff's going to break the scale and give this one a 12. Yes. And uh, <laughs> because of this awesome wedding, I can't think of a bride, but I wasn't really mad at the bride. I think she's awesome. Um, I'm not even going to spin this wheel of killers. We're going to see if Jeff can survive, would survive. How would he get away from? If I was Pennywise. The stepfather. <laughs> Which one? The stepfather part. Let's go to part two. It's my favorite. Because that's that's O'Quinn, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, oh, it's O'Quinn. He'd kill me. Yeah. Okay. Well. He lived to, to see a third one and get a facial reconstruction, so. He did. <laughs> which, right. is a, which is, I have to say, is it most one of the most genius ways of recasting a guy? <laughs> well, Durant too, right? Durant and Durant. Really? Well. All right. With that, nighttime is the fight time. I'm Tom Devlin. That's Jeff, and this is producer Walid, and we are out.